My name is Nick Schatz. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to open up God's Word and and study the Bible with you all. Uh, Before we do that, I do have one announcement that I want to make, and I'll introduce you to somebody in just a second. So uh, at the end of this month, coming this month, it's a big transition time for our church, and you are the church. You should know about this. What's happening, thanks Kayla, is we are uh, transitioning from the current fiscal year into the new fiscal year. So most of you are not going to see or know anything about that. However, uh, those of us on staff, you know, we're trying to find those receipts and get them turned in and trying to close the books and open up the new budget and make plans for this and buying that and and wrapping up this and closing this account. So there's there's all this activity that that you're not involved in, but you should still know about uh, these things that are coming. It is a big transition that we go through each year around this time. And whenever we end up closing the budget, one thing that I ask is that you would consider giving a one-time gift. If you haven't started giving to our church in a regular way, that you would begin to give regularly. Start with one or two percent of your income if you want to do that. Uh, Otherwise, just as my wife and I are doing, just give a little extra at the end of this month to help us make sure that we finish this fiscal year strong. Now, whenever we talk about money and stuff like that, I think the natural tendency is to think, oh, this just pays for AC and lights and things like that. So uh, I thought it might be helpful to have like a flesh and blood story of some of the things that, that we're able to do because you continue to faithfully and regularly give to Hershey Free. So let me introduce you to uh, Mark Wakefield. He's a, probably a familiar face, but he's going to come talk about our new college ministry that started up recently. Yeah, I'm excited about the new college ministry that we're starting up here at Hershey Free. It's called Beyond, and the reason it's called Beyond is because, of course, our college and career folks are beyond high school. In another respect, they're looking at what's beyond this 18 to 22-year-old age that they're going through. But also, we call it beyond because we're looking beyond this life to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So that's why we call this ministry Beyond. And uh, it's an interesting group. It's uh, composed of a lot of folks who are in college, but it's also composed of folks who are, who are still just starting off their careers and, and getting involved in the workforce. So um, we're really glad for this ministry. We're excited about what's going on. We meet every Tuesday night and every Sunday morning. And if, if you're in that age group, we would love to have you join us. Now, there's an interesting statistic I learned recently, Nick, and that is that um, we, we took a survey of the recent high school graduates, and they said that about 70 to 80, maybe sometimes 90% of their classmates are going on to college, and they're, they're, they're pursuing a college degree. But it's interesting that in the state of Pennsylvania... Only 31% of us have completed college. That's a big gap. The reason is that college is hard. It is not easy to get a degree these days. It's, it's four years of your life, and it's expensive, and it's, the studying is hard. And The point is, is that folks who are going through college and going through those years, they need help. They need support. They need a support group around them, and that's what Beyond does. We're there to encourage these folks in their faith, encourage them to to keep plugging away at their goals and dreams, but also to point them to Jesus Christ or remind them of the hope that we have in him. So that's a little bit about what what Beyond is all about. Also, for the folks who aren't going to college, we have the opportunity to come alongside them and encourage them in their work. There's the day-to-day grind of getting up every morning, going to work, and you come home and, and you binge Netflix or you're playing Call of Duty or Halo or whatever the latest games are. And then you get, get up the next morning and do it all over again. And that could get to be a grind. And so Beyond is there to encourage the folks who are going through, starting off their careers and getting involved in the workforce. Um, Nick, it's a ministry I'm excited about. It's, it's been, we've been, um, just one example. We meet every Tuesday night. And we've got to feed these folks. 
it's dinner. It's a free dinner. If you're between 18 and 22, come join us. We'll feed you dinner every Tuesday night. But it's, it gets expensive. And because of that, I'm really grateful for the support of Hershey Free and the, 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 the money that, that your, your tithes and offerings go to just little things like feeding our college students on Tuesday nights or uh, just all the uh, very various ministries that go on at Hershey Free. So I appreciate that, and I'm grateful for Hershey Free and the support we have for this ministry. So if you're in 18 to 22 years old, we'd love to have you on Tuesday nights. If you go to hfc.com, hfcinfo.com, and click on the, uh, the Young Adult Ministries, you'll see a list of all the homes we're meeting in throughout the, every Tuesday night this summer. And uh, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate what's going on, the support that, that Hershey Free has given to beat the Beyond Ministry. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for your work with these students and for letting us know about that. Uh, and if you know somebody in college or you are, then make sure you hit up Mark and get free food every Tuesday, it sounds like. Um, also, one more announcement. As we talk about student ministry, I want to follow up on an announcement we made a couple months ago. Uh, so you may have heard an update about Nick Mance, our pastor for student ministry. So again, a couple months ago, we announced that he would be taking a leave of absence to attend to his mental and spiritual health. Uh, many of you have told me over the last two months that you've been praying for him or reached out to him or had coffee with him or whatever those. So I just want to thank you for your support and help for him. In this last week, he has gradually started back work in ministry again, and that'll continue for about another month until he's uh, full board. So hey, I just want to thank you for your support for him during this time yeah, for he and Elise. But anyway, with that said, uh, if you're ready to jump into the Word of God here, let's go ahead and open to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be in 1 Peter 1 today. Uh, several weeks ago, back in, back in uh, oh my goodness, it's been a while, uh, April, we celebrated Easter, which is of course uh, the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate. And ever since then, we have taken a, some scripture, some passage in the Bible Uh, on each Sunday that mentions the resurrection and how it wasn't just this event that happened in the past and that's a done deal, but how the resurrection continues to affect us in in our lives today. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more today in this passage in 1 Peter. Uh, So as you're turning there, I do want to show you one other verse. You don't need to turn there because it's just one quick verse. I'll read it and we'll put it up on the screen here, but it comes from Matthew 13. And so this is a, a parable which is also sort of a, a made-up story, a story by Jesus that has some kind of significance to it. It's a parable. And he, he describes the next life. He describes the kingdom of heaven or, or the new heavens and the new earth in this way. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. So apparently there's some guy wandering through the field in this story. He trips over something and goes and finds, oh, there's a treasure here. He makes sure nobody's watching. He covers it back up and then he leaves. So he hits it again. He hides it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So let me just paint this picture for you to kind of bring this life in today's world. So let's just imagine that this next week, my wife comes home from work and she greets me and I say, hey, babe, welcome home from work. I have an idea. I think we should sell our house. I know we just bought it about 10 months ago. So it was July, last July that we closed on our house. I know we just bought it. We're going to lose some of our equity because, you know, the closing costs. But, but hey, I, I think we should sell our house. I think we should sell both of our vehicles. I know they're like 10 or 15 years old, these little Toyotas that we have. I think we should sell both of our vehicles and cash in on them. I think we should cash in on our 401k. We're young, so there's not a lot in there. We'll take a penalty, whatever. I think we should cash in on that. We'll sell our vehicles, gather up all the kids' toys, get whatever we can on Facebook Marketplace, list the furniture on eBay or, you know, whatever we can. I say we sell everything that we own because I want to buy, all right, wait for it, a field. 
Now, she would think I'm nuts. She would think, and, and you would think, if you heard the story, Nick did what? <laughs> Anna's still with him? You know, but why, why, why on earth would anybody in their right mind do that? But this guy would. And this guy would do it because he knows something that nobody else knows. He knows that something is buried in this field that is of far greater value or worth than his 2011 Toyota minivan, right? And, and his little house in Hershey and whatever stuff. So, so everything that he owns pales in comparison to the value of what is in this field. So the real question is this. If you knew that this kind of treasure was buried in a field, five acres behind me here, why would you not sell everything that you own and call grandma, right, and, and borrow money from whoever you knew and go to the bank and beg them to give you a loan so that you can have enough money to buy the five acres. Who in their right mind would not do everything they could to buy that field because you know the treasure is in there? If only a fool, only a fool would not take this kind of investment. So there's another parable that Jesus tells, and we won't turn there because this is only one verse, this other parable is several verses, but in this other parable, he also talks about the kingdom of heaven, this next life that we'll have uh, in, in the new heavens, in the new earth. And in this other parable, he implies and indicates that whatever we invest in this life that we have, whatever we invest right now in eternity, in heaven, whatever we invest that has eternal significance, it has a return on investment of, of 30, maybe 60, maybe 100 fold. I mean, who, who, we'd be a fool not to take him up on that kind of investment. 100x return on investment. So, so if you're a young person in here, and if I were to tell you, look, I know you don't have a lot of money, but if you get in right now, when you retire, whatever you put in now is going to get you 100 times the return on investment. You, you know, call, call your dad, sell whatever, and, and if you, even if you can only scrape up, you know, 500 or 600 or $700, put it in because Eventually, this is going to have a ret- 100 times return on investment. Everybody in here would scrounge up all the money they can, and they, would, and they would jump in on this, right? You'd be a fool not to take up on this kind of investment. And just to paint another picture, so I, I did something this, this last week. I, I jumped on Google, and I found one of these investment calculators. Have you ever played with one of these investment calculators, like with your mortgage or something? You know, what's it worth? And, okay, some of you are not yet. So I found this investment calculator. You guys know what Bitcoin is? cryptocurrency. You know, now there's the douche coin and the this coin and the that coin and all the coins. But, but back then, you know, in 2015, it was really, that was the one that we were hearing about. And so I, di- I didn't pour any money into it. Maybe some of you did. But I did this investment calculator. And I discovered that if in 2015, so it's just seven years ago, in 2015, if I had put in $10,000 and traded my real money for electronic money, if I had put in $10,000, Jeff can back this up, and then I cashed it in last year. So that's just six years. If I had bought $10,000 in Bitcoin in 2015 and then cashed it all in for real money again last year, I would have ended up gaining $1,467,000. My $10,000 investment a few years ago would have become $1.4 million. When I read that, I cried. <laughs> I cried for two reasons. For one, I didn't invest a single dollar or a single dime into Bitcoin. The second reason is I didn't have $10,000 in 2015. All right, we had just had our, our baby girl, and so all of my money was going to Texas Presbyterian Hospital. So you're welcome for the new emergency room or whatever. So, but, but I, you know, I, so I was upset about that. But he, here's the thing. There were people back then that, wait, you're trading real money for, for what coin? <laughs> can, can you even see this stuff? You're nuts. You bought a field? Oh, okay, whatever. You sold your house and bought a field? What is wrong with you? I mean, this seems insane. But if you know what's buried in the field, oh, you'd be a fool to pass this up. You'd be, we'd be having a bidding war for the acreage out there because it's what's in the field that matters. 
And so today, in today's sermon, I want to I give you a pitch for the greatest get-rich-quick scheme that has ever existed. You, have, you and I, we have this tiny little blip of existence in this life. And we're going to live up forever in, for eternity. I mean, if there was a, some kind of line or something, it would just go on for eternity. And in comparison to that, our life on this planet Earth, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like you're, you're cooking and, 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 and the pot's boiling and, and, and a little piece of vapor pops up and boom, it's gone. Like that's, that's the small little blip of existence that we have in this life compared to eternity. And if you will invest whatever, you, if you will scrape up whatever you can, your time, your skill set, your, your money, your possessions, if you'll invest whatever you've got in this tiny little blip, the return on investment for eternity, it's, it's more than you can fathom. And so that's what I want to invite you to, and that's what Peter wants to invite us into in this text. So let's read this text, 1 Peter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 7. The Bible says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These griefs, these these trials, they've, they've come to prove the genuineness of your faith of far greater value than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. And all this may result in praise and glory and honor on that day later when Jesus Christ is revealed. So today we're going to talk about that living hope. If you're someone who circles or underlines or highlights things in your Bible, go ahead and circle those words, living hope. We're going to talk about that living hope. And there's three dimensions of our hope as Christians that Peter's going to tell us about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The three dimensions of our hope is one, that we have been saved. This is called justification, okay? We'll put this on the screen for you. We have been saved. Secondly, we are being saved, also known as sanctification. And then thirdly, we will be saved. These are three dimensions of our hope. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved one day or glorified. So let's talk about that first one. We have been justified or we have been saved. Look back at verse 3. It says, in his great, in God's great mercy, in his great mercy, you know what mercy means? Mercy means that you deserve something bad, but then you don't end up getting it, right? It's when you're a kid and you break mom and dad's rules and they pull you in the room and, and you should be grounded, but they say, it's, it's okay this time. Mercy. It's, it's, it's when you stand before the judge and you deserve jail time or you deserve that ticket. You deserve to pay that fine, but you know what? The judge says, it's, it's okay. You don't need to pay it. We will waive it this time. You received mercy. Mercy is when we do not get something bad that we deserve. And so in this verse it says, in his great mercy. Do you deserve, do you, do you need mercy? Yes. And I need mercy. So why do we need mercy? Well, there's several reasons. We are depraved in all sorts of ways. And so here's a text that I want to show you why we need mercy. Second uh, Peter 2 says that we are slaves of depravity. In other words, s- depravity was our, was our master and slaves do whatever their master says, right? We, we are owned by our own depravity. This other verse in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 as well. We are dead in our sins, unable to do anything except sin. Dead in your sins. Titus 3 says that we are enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures and and, and, and all sort of insecurities and and, and complaints and, and things that are within our mind that just control us and enslave us. Romans 3 says all people are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one can do 
no one is righteous, not even one. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing us that we are sinners and that we are in great need of mercy. I think most of us actually walk around perpetually disappointed with ourselves and wishing we could be better and do better and act better and think better and, and, and be better in different ways. We, we are completely uh, depraved and, and, and controlled and enslaved to sin, as these different verses tell us. But the good news, back to verse 3 again, is in his great mercy. So I have a question for you. Do you need mercy? I'll tell you what my, my mother-in-law from Wisconsin and how she would say this. Do you need mercy? If she were here, she would say, oh, yeah, you betcha, all right? Oh, yeah. You, do you need salvation? Oh, yeah, you betcha. Do you need mercy? Oh, I should, let, me just, let me just try this. Let me just try this. I'm going to see if you can do this with me. Get, get your Midwestern accents out. Do you need mercy? Oh, yeah, you betcha. You do. We need mercy. We are completely warped by sin in all different ways, but this is the gospel. This is the gospel. That Jesus lived a sinless life. He was the one who did not, was not enslaved by these passions, by these desires, by these sins. Lived a perfect life. He was crucified on the cross. And yes, we think, oh, that was painful, that must have been shameful, that must have been hard, that must have been excruciating. But it was, it was not necessarily that. It was the fact that he took our sins upon us. He was punished for our sins so that we could receive this mercy. Do you need mercy? Oh, yeah, you betcha. We do. We do need his mercy. And if you will give your life in service to him, you can be justified, and, and you can say with Peter in this text, I have been saved. So that's the first dimension of our, of our living hope, that we have been saved. This is something that has happened to us. So let's look at the second dimension of this faith, of this hope. We have been saved. Secondly, we are being saved. And so we're going to read through parts of this again. And as you read it, I want you to notice that he doesn't just talk about something that happened in the past. He doesn't just say that you know, God gave mercy and that we were saved and, you know, that, that happened a long time ago and, you know, here we are. You, you are what you are. No, no, no. He says that we were saved, but we are still being saved. So look back at verse number 1, 1 Peter 1 and verse 1. So we haven't read this one yet. To God's elect, in other words, to those who have been justified, who have been saved, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through, look at this, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That word sanctified, sanctification, it means that you were being made holy, that, that you were not in that status, you were not holy, you were not perfected, but you were being formed and shaped and you were being sanctified and made to be more like Jesus over the course of time, right? Notice down there, he says, in his great mercy, he has given us. It doesn't say he gave us, he, he has given, it has effects that move into the future and a new birth. Whenever something is birthed, it doesn't mean it's done, it means it's, it's been birthed and it's going to grow, it's expected to become more solid and taller and bigger and stronger. It's, there's a birth that's happened. And so, yes, we have been saved, but we are still being saved in the sense that we are being sanctified more and more each day. And so I want to show you just a few things that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do inside of you to sanctify you. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is convicting you have sin in your life. The Holy Spirit is empowering you for ministry. The Holy Spirit is filling you with godly desires. The Holy Spirit, even right now, is gradually transforming you more into Jesus' likeness. Again, this is called sanctification. We are becoming more like Jesus. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it. He says, hey, I'm trying to follow Jesus, so I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm trying to follow Christ. So as I follow Christ, I want you to imitate me as I'm trying to imitate him. Now, sometimes this concept of sanctification and, and imitating uh, you know, someone like the Apostle Paul as they imitate Christ, sometimes this can be hard to grasp. But I thought I'd find a visual representation that might help us see this. So here's, here's, a, visual, here's a visual that might help you understand this a little more fully, okay? 
Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So in this picture, we have, uh, if you've read Chronicles of Narnia, here's, here's Aslan, the, the great, powerful, the mighty lion, the you know, fearsome but good uh, Aslan. And, and then we have, I don't know, Sinbad or Mufasa, I forget. Does anybody know? That's, that's okay. All right. All right. All right. Disney fans. Yep. Sinbad. So here's, here's the Apostle Paul, strong line, not quite Aslan. Does anybody want to venture and guess? Compared to Jesus and compared to the Apostle Paul, does anyone want to venture and guess where you fall in this visual description? You are the stick figure looking thing that, that kind of looks like a lion. Okay, that's, that's, where, that's where you fall. I feel like Dan doesn't quite understand the analogy. So thankfully, for Dan's sake, I brought one more picture just, just to help you understand what's going on in this verse. So here's another visual description of imitating Christ. Okay, so here's Christ, the Spider-Man flinging webs. He can, he can do all the jumping. And, and, and so you have the Apostle Paul pretty close. He can't spin the webs, but he's a stunt double. And um, if, if you want to guess where you are in the picture, you're the guy with a drawstring backpack over your head, just trying your best to fit in and look like. So this is how this sanctification work can, can look sometimes, which we are trying. We are trying to be sanctified and to be more like Jesus in different ways. But hey, let me encourage you with this. Look at verse number two. Who is the one, in verse number two, who is the one that is sanctifying us? Through the sanctifying work of the, of the Spirit. I heard many of you say the Spirit. So here's the follow-up question. Are we, by our own determination, I'm going to throw a drawstring backpack over my head and scribble this, and I'm, but by sheer determination, by trying hard, by I'm going to do it better than this, can, can I just sanctify myself and become more holy and be more like Jesus by self-determination and willpower? Can I do that? No. The Holy Spirit is the one who, God is the one who saved you, and he's the only one who can continue to save you and to sanctify you and turn you more into the image and likeness of Jesus. But here's what we can do. What we can do is we can position ourselves in such a way that the Holy Spirit is able to do that work in us. We can, we can align our lives and our priorities around the work of the Spirit. We can, we can position ourselves and align ourselves in line with the Holy Spirit so that he can work on us and bring about this kind of change, Okay. There's a book that I like by uh, John Orberg where he describes this. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it's worth repeating, where he says that there, there's this difference in as I'm being sanctified and trying to be more like Jesus, I can either try hard and only last for a minute, or, or I can train hard, I can train myself in godliness. So let me, let, let me just point it out by uh, giving you this, this example. So this last fall... Uh, I enrolled one of our kiddos in, in a football league, okay? And this was, he had done, he had done flag, and this was, this was like tackle, put the pads on, you know, get the wind knocked out of you kind of football, okay? So he enrolled in this football, and so we took him to the first practice. It started July or August, something like that. And so we took him to football practice, and the coach was out there making him do the exercises. I was talking to the parents and stuff. It was like an hour and a half, something like that. And so at the end of the practice, the coach comes up. The kids are getting their water, taking off their pads, or, you know, they're, they're just kind of congregating, and, and they're finishing up their practice. And the coach comes over and waves the parents over. Um, and some of, you are, some of you are or have been parents of kids that were in the, kind of the sports stuff, so you know the drill. The, the coach calls you over, and he's going to go over, you know, the next practice is this time, and make sure you bring your cleats because, you know, he's going to go. But this coach didn't do all that. He calls the parents over, all the moms and dads, we, we circle around the coach. And he says, I forget the exact words, but something to this effect. He said, all right, these kids don't know squat about football. That's what he says. <laughs> and so there's a part of me, there's a part of me that pauses for a second. I started getting defensive, like, hey, listen here, pal. I don't know how things work up here, but I was raised in the South 
And this is a good way to get backhanded by a mama bear. I mean, I'm looking around at the moms like, all right, who's going to strike first? I'm not going to touch him. This guy was jacked. But hey, these mamas, man, they might come after him. So I'm over here looking, okay, who's going to go after this guy first? And I start getting offensive. Like, you're talking about my kid. Come on now. So that was, some of you are doctors. You know, your right side of your brain does stuff. Your left side of your brain does stuff. I don't know which one is which. But one of my sides of my brain was getting offensive. And the other side of my brain thought, he's got a point. <laughs> I, mean, I was watching the practice. I was watching the, the hour and a half, and, you know, he started out by, okay, we're going to do some jumping jacks. What's a jumping jack? You know, and he's having to, he's having to walk him through how to do it. We're not talking about passes and plays and things. We're just, just jumping jacks. And then he had him do push-ups, and, man, it looked like a bunch of pool noodles over there, you know, doing this nonsense. They were, like he was trying to teach him the worm dance or something. Is this dance class? I don't know. And so he's, he's trying to do all this stuff. And so part of my brain was, yeah, did you, you talking about my kid? And the other part of my brain thought, he's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm watching this practice go on. All this happened in like a split second. I don't know if my mind's weird or if you guys do this where like all these thoughts kind of through your head. So he says, these kids don't know squat about football. And then he continued. But I'm telling you, by the end of the season, you will have a football player in your household. And he was right. By the end of the season, it was really fun watching those football games. The first couple games were terrible, but, but by the end of the season, it was fun watching those football games. These kids knew how to play football. They knew the plays. They could take a hit. They could give a hit. They, and, and they would bring mayhem to that lineup. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch these football games, the kicking and the passing. and the, It was fun. At the start, they weren't. But by the end, they were football players. And listen, they weren't football players because they tried hard. I saw them trying hard at the first practice, right? This is push-up, right? I, I saw them trying hard. Trying hard doesn't work very well. If you want to be more like Jesus, don't, don't, don't try hard. Train hard. Align and position yourself in such a way that the Holy Spirit is able to form you and shape you into this. So here, here's a verse that I want to show you from 1 Timothy. He says, train yourself. Don't try to be godly. He says, train yourself for godliness. There's several other texts that mention that word training or this idea of training ourselves for godliness. And this is how we can align ourselves in such a way that we can become more and allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us in different ways. So once again, just to catch us back up and to recap, we have been saved, justified. My sins are forgiven. I'm, now, I'm still a sinful person, so I'm not, I'm not like Jesus yet, but I, I have been saved. Even, even right now, First Peter tells us we are in this process where the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, and we are being saved. We've been saved. We are being saved. And then lastly, we're going to look at this. I will be saved. We will be saved. And we're talking about, at this point, glorification. This is once we have died, once our body has resurrected and uh, united with our soul again, and we are in the new heaven and the new earth, I, I will finally, that is the end result of our faith, Peter tells us in this text. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. So here's what he says here. He says a couple things that we're going to look at. First, he says that we're going to get some kind of inheritance. Some kind of inheritance. And then secondly, he says that in that kingdom of heaven, in, in, in the new heaven and new earth, that we will receive praise and glory and honor. So we're going to look at those things here in this text. So look at verse 3. Pick up verse 3 with me. It says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And then he goes on to say, into an inheritance, it's in bold up there, into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. That's the salvation that's ready in the end time, in the last time, in my glorification. So what are we inheriting? Well, here's several things that you can look up later uh, as you do your, spend your own time with the Lord and with his word. Eternal life with God. Beauty in a new world. Riches we cannot imagine. Authority to reign with Jesus. Some, these are some of the things that we inherit. But let, I want to look secondly at the praise and glory and honor that we'll receive in that new world, in the new heavens and the new earth. Look at verse 7. 
He says these trials, especially persecution because of our faith, things that we go through, the the situations we find ourselves in, we're, we're wrestling with how to apply our faith in those situations. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith the things that we go through in this life, they, they, they are proving us. It's, it's not wasted time, just, man, I can't wait till I get to heaven. This is all a waste. No, we, we are proving the genuineness of our faith. And then it says, sort of like, sort of like metal or gold, is, it goes through this refining process where the heat has gone up and, and the impurities are burned away and the metal becomes refined into a, into, a, into a fine gold. This is this process that we are going through in life, being refined. And here's the result. It may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the end result. We have been, are being, and will be saved. The end result of our faith. So what's going to be so glorious about us? Here's a few things, once again, that you can look up on your own time. Our bodies will be transformed. Our soul will be sinless. Our desires will be perfected. Our works will be rewarded. And so Scripture gives us, in, in different places, different uh, analogies and descriptions of what heaven will be like. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly, okay, here's what, here's what your first day will look like, here's orientation, because I, I, I don't think the human language would be able to quite gel with our imagination in such a way that we can actually understand what heaven will be like. It's, it's beyond our imagination or anything we can fathom. So there's these different pictures we get. For instance, there's, there's crowns that are awarded to different people, which, which seems to indicate to me that there's some kind of authority that we can gain when you, we are in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible talks about these, uh, Jesus talks about these rooms in a, in a large mansion and so forth, which seems to indicate that we have some kind of status once we get to heaven, no matter what your status is on earth. Other passages say that we will rule and reign and, and judge the universe alongside Jesus, meaning that we have some kind of significance. So, so here's the question I walk away with. That means that all of us get crowns, right? I didn't say that. Or, hey, all of us get a mansion, Right? I'm not, sure, I, I, I'm not sure I said that. I'm not sure the Bible necessarily says that. Or, hey, we all get to rule. We all get ruling power, right? I get to be like some kind of governor or something. Well, like, I didn't necessarily say that. Yes, all of us will get to enjoy, if we have been saved, we will get to enjoy the greatness of heaven. But there's a chance that we could enter heaven wishing that we had invested while we were here in this life. There's a chance that we'll get there and look back to 2015 and say, I wish I had bought that Bitcoin. I get to enjoy heaven, but, but I wish that I had not just believed in Jesus, but I had served him. I wish that I had not just received his mercy, but I had dished it out to others. I, I wish that I had invested more. And so here's what I want you to hear today. This blip of existence that you get, you'd be a fool not to invest it in eternity that is to come. You'd be a fool not to use the relationships that you have to, to spread the message of the gospel with the people around you. You'd be a fool not to open your wallet and give generously to, to, to whatever ministry or, or mission or, or local church would further the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'd be a fool not to open up your home and your car and whatever possessions you have and in hospitality to those around you. You'd be a fool not to pour everything you've got in this blip of existence investing in eternity. Because it'll be paid back a hundredfold, more than you can fathom. This is what he tells us about the kingdom of heaven. Your return on investment could be a hundred times what you spend here. And it never perishes, spoils, or fades. One last thing I want to do here. I want to recommend a book to you. It's called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Has anybody in here read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce? Okay. No, maybe a different C.S. Lewis book. Okay, a few of you have, maybe 2 to 3% of you or something like that. Uh, so he's, he's got a lot of good books. Uh, this one, it's not about marriage and divorce or custody battles or anything like that. This is, um, 
It's, it's a book about, about hell and heaven and how they are so incompatible and, and different that they, they, they're divorced from one another. That's kind of where, where the title, The Great Divorce, comes from. And you can see on the cover, at least this cover, there's different covers, uh, there's a bus. So the way the book works out, it's, it's an analogy of heaven and hell. And here's how the book plays out. The main character is on a bus, and he's traveling kind of on a tour, going from hell and then into heaven, and he's able to see what these places may be like. Again, it's just an allegory. It's uh, obviously not true. It's his his depiction of heaven and hell. And so as he's on this bus, he's interacting with the other characters on the bus as they tour heaven and hell. And all the other people on the bus are, they're, they're ghost-like. You know, that means they're, they're like transparent. You can, you can see them, but you can also see through them in different ways. And it's kind of strange. They, they, look like, they look like ghosts. And, and some of the ghosts are becoming more and more transparent over time. So you're looking at them and, and you can see them, but then you can see them a little less. And, they, you know, they, they just continue to become more and more transparent. And as they become more transparent, they become smaller and, and smaller and, and, and smaller. And then there's, there's other ghosts who they are becoming more solid. Okay, so you can see through them, and, and then now I, I, can't, I can't see through them quite as much. And they're becoming more solid and larger, and they're, they're, they're taking up more space and, and more weight. And so these are the different ghosts that he's interacting with on this trip. Okay? Now, some of the ghosts that are becoming more and more transparent, they're just, you know, they're just pessimistic and fed up with this, with this world. And what's with this tour guy? I want to get off this bus. I'm not coming back on this bus. I don't want to go to the next land that they keep talking about. I, I want to I get far away from the other people on this bus because I can't stand them. I'm going to build a house miles away. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I want to talk to the manager. Who's the one running this world anyway? I got some problems. God, is that his name? I got, I got some things I want to say to this God. <laughs> It's all unfair. I don't get what I deserve. I, I, you know, I, I want to talk to management. This is, this is how these, these transparent people that are getting smaller and more transparent and less real are thinking. But then some of the other ghosts are becoming more solid. And so the transparent ghosts, they get off the bus at different points and they walk through the grass. And again, their, their, their skin is, it, the, the grass is able to pierce their skin in different ways. And so it, it's sharp. It's like walking on needles everywhere you go. So taking a step is, it's, it's extremely painful, Right? They can't even pick, one of, one of the ghosts comes across an apple and wants to pick it up and take a bite, but it's, it's so heavy because, again, his body's it's, it's small and it's, it's, it's like ghost-like. And so he tries to pick it up and he puts it in his pocket and he almost falls over. It's just an apple. So he, can't, he doesn't even, I don't even want anything to do with this world. I want to go back to the bus and go back to the other place because that's where his heart is. That's where his mind is. Of course, the other ghosts, again, they're becoming more solid and they're becoming larger. So they walk on the grass. It doesn't hurt. In fact, this, this feels great. This Wow, I love this place. I want to talk to management because they did a great job with this place. You know, they're, they're very optimistic and, and they've, they've, they've cast off their burdens. The other ones, they have these burdens and, and different things that are around them that, that just kind of fill their mind with, with this old way of thinking. But, but these solid people, they've cast all these burdens off and, and they're enjoying uh, the life around them. They're growing larger so that the plants aren't huge. They're able to actually interact with the plants and things and, and, and the different creatures and pick up the apple and enjoy it. And, and it, their life looks so much different because, because what they are investing in is so much different than the others. I want to leave you with this. With this blip of existence that you have, are you pouring everything you have into investing into that more solid world? That's what Peter calls us to. Direct all of your energies towards that next life that is to come, and you will be saved. Well, with that said, let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for your salvation. I want to thank you for the mercy that you have given me the mercy that you have shown these, these people in front of me. I want to thank you for initially forgiving our sins, for continuing to work on us and, and, and sanctify us, turning us more into Jesus, even though we can't manufacture those kind of desires and thoughts. 
I want to pray that in this next week that, that I would continue to reflect on this passage, that my friends here in front of me would, would reflect on what we've learned about the next life and that, we would, that you would challenge us and convict us and stretch us in ways that force us to invest our time and our talents and our treasures in, into the next world. Would you, would you show us ways that even tomorrow that we can invest in the next life and, and not, not hold on and hoard things for the life that we have right here? I pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for your kind attention. Uh, before you leave, let me just remind you that we're going to have members of our prayer team up, and especially if you have not, if, if you would say, you know what, that justified stuff that you talked about, I'm not sure that I am a Christian, I'd invite you to come and talk to one of those people up here at front, and they'd be glad to pray with you. But with that said, Jesus calls us to gather, and then he sends us. So you are not being dismissed, but you are being sent. Thank you.